Well, good morning and welcome to Q&A. This is your opportunity to ask questions from the service this morning. So the number is up on the screen and we are so glad that you decided to join us. So really send in your questions. It's a great opportunity and hope that there is joy um, in your home, wherever you're watching this morning. What a great song and encouragement Mm -hmm. to finish the service with. Yeah, Uh, We were just talking about this. When we first started the service and Matt taught us the song, you're like, okay, it's a good song. This is a really, it's a cool song. It's got a good beat. And then when you come out of the scripture after, you're like, this is a great song and really captures the heart. Yeah, I hope, because what I hope is you're watching and you just finished that song, that what you'll go is there's joy in this house of the Lord. And if surely the presence of God is here, then I can't be silent. I won't be silent because the presence of God. So it just tied it together really, really well. Anyway, and I would just echo Tracy. Actually, I really enjoy questions. So don't hesitate to to send a question. To send them in. But we have some. So we'll go ahead and kick off and get started. So um, first one here about being an ambassador for Christ. Uh Um, how How do I encourage my children to be ambassadors for Christ in their schools when they feel like there is no one who will engage with them? Do you have any tips for discipleship in this way? Oh, um, a couple thoughts. Uh, first of all, I appreciate the question because sometimes there can be this idea of, well, we should, kids don't aren't ambassadors. We don't need mm-hmm. to uh, encourage our kids that direction. That's for older folks. Uh, Jesus, 12 years old in the temple, an ambassador for the Father. Uh, and so uh, it's a great question. First and foremost, got to start with you. Are you, do they see in your life a beginning with prayer? If anybody asks your son or daughter, do you, does your mom and dad, do they pray for any unbelievers? Mm. That, that was a convicting time for me. I, I remember when I realized that though we prayed for unbelievers, for some strange reason, that was not during family prayer time. So it starts with you. You set the example. That's your role as a parent. So uh, who are you praying for? And if you're praying for folks, uh, make sure you do that in the presence of your kids and you invite them to say, so who is in your class, whether they're willing to engage with you or not, who's in your class, who rides your bus, uh, who's on a sports team, who's down the street that you play with, that we could pray for by name. So uh, we sought to make it a practice with our kids to to make sure we were praying for folks Mm -hmm. uh, together. So it always starts with our example and begins with prayer. So pray together. Then... um, the question is, was seemed to be more, well, from their standpoint, no one will engage with them. As it starts with us as parents, it starts with the lives that we live. So I don't think we have to run around um, or go to school looking for a person to verbally, like, assault with the gospel. Uh, Colossians 4 says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. So it it starts with 
our conduct. So let me read this for so that you make sure you're getting it. Colossians 4, 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. So the opportunity is to engage with folks who don't know the Lord. So uh, I don't think it's wrong to go to a Christian school or wrong to have your kids playing on church teams and that sort of thing. But if there's never any engagement with those who aren't yet part of the faith, this is going to be hard for them to do. So it starts with is there engagement and then are there actions that reflect who God is, his holiness, that makes the most of that opportunity. Next verse. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you know how you should respond to each person. So some great great truth for you there. Very practical. Not out of my own head. Right out of the Bible. Um, starts with your conduct. Then it's a responding. And that response is... Full of grace, seasoned with salt. And I grew up thinking, uh, I'm not just responding. I have to make it happen. Right. And I have to make it happen by giving plate loads of salt seasoned with grace. And that's not what the scripture says. So give lots of grace because everybody, including us, need grace. And then season Absolutely. it with, the tr- with salt, truth of who God is, what Jesus has done, and how a relationship can be engaged with him. So I, I hope that, that helps. Example, mm-hmm. prayer, looking to respond according to how you've conducted yourself and then make sure when you do speak, lots of grace and salt included. I think that's a very important depiction yeah. here that can easily be missed. Yes. And it really does make a difference. And then it's also that reminder, like, it is not me who is going to change their no. heart. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And yes. so just like we've been doing through Bless, you know, during Crosswalk, like with our kids, with the kids, they did Bless. And so they were learning about yeah. praying and listening and giving the grace with, but understanding the truth. And so it, it's just a great example to mm-hmm. learn at any age. Yes. And it's powerful as parents to be able to show that. You may have to get over a hurdle, which I had to get over. And that is that if I spent some time with a person who didn't know Jesus and I didn't speak of Jesus, mm-hmm. I wasted the time. Yes. Uh, I don't think, if I never speak of Jesus, I'm probably missing the opportunity. But I remember so distinctly years and years ago, a neighbor inviting me to go fishing. And in the whole time we were fishing, I could hardly enjoy the fishing because I was under this pressure. How do I bring Jesus into this? How do I bring Jesus into this? How do I bring Jesus? And I, I could hardly engage with him because I had this overwhelming obligation not to conduct myself with wisdom and then be ready to respond with grace and salt. I had this like, if we get back to the dock and I have not shared the gospel with him, I wasted my day. 
And the Lord's really set me free from, uh, I should conduct with wisdom, be ready to respond, respond with grace and salt, because it's the Lord who does the work. Absolutely. So, uh, until I get there, I'm probably never going to be a type of person my neighbors want to interact with, because mm-hmm. it's... It's always everything, every conversation has to go to this, every conversation goes to this. And so thank the Lord that's, I can speak of Jesus, I can speak about my own relationship with the Lord, but it doesn't have to be in every conversation, every time. Right. Very freeing. It was for me. It was for me anyway. Absolutely. Um, Well, next question here. How do I begin engaging with the body of Christ again in love if I've been away for so long and I'm a chronic loner in so many ways? Mm. Man, I love I love the heart there uh, because that, that tells me you heard the Spirit of God speak to you, um, and I get the fear. How do I come back? Um, there's no magic answer here. You come back. You engage again, and uh, when you come back, if somebody says, where you been, you go, I'm glad to be back. I don't, sometimes maybe we're afraid to come back because people are going to ask us questions Mm -hmm. that will force us to say things or make us go, ah, I didn't really want to talk about that. So don't. Focus just, on now. Yeah, just go. I'm back now. Uh, I'm glad I'm back. It's like this, Tracy. I kind of always hate it if, if I'm out and about during a service. Mm-hmm. I go over and look in on North or whatever, and I'm coming back in, and it's like 15 minutes in the service, and somebody's walking, and they're like, because they think, oh, I'm judging them because they're late. And we feel so bad, and they're like, they are, I am the last person they want to see. And you may think that, oh, man, if I come back, I wouldn't want Doug to see me because here's what I say to every person. When they're like, oh, I go, I'm glad you're here. Right. Would would earlier be a more complete experience? Absolutely. But I'm glad they're here. So come back with this assurance. I'm glad you came back. Don't allow. Shame is one of the most powerful tools of the enemy. Mm-hmm. Shame keeps us from confessing because we're afraid if we confess, then we'll experience shame. But it's actually our lack of confession that keeps us trapped in our shame. Confession will actually mm-hmm. set us free from the very thing we're afraid of. So I think what I hear in that question is, uh, there'll be shame if I come back. That's the lie of the enemy in every person's life who lives with that fear. It's in the coming back that you can finally put that behind you. So, no, I can't speak for everybody else. I can say that I would hope this would be true. What you can know for sure is my heart will be, I'm glad you're back. Not where have you been. I'm glad you're back. Because that's what matters, that you're here. It's yes. a joy to be able to see People come back. And there's joy in the house of the Lord. Absolutely. Individually and corporately. So don't, don't stay away. Um, 
welcome back. Warm welcome. So yeah. uh, you took a few minutes um, and we talked about worry. Yeah. Um, so question here, I often worry because of past hurts. I regularly have a new worry, which leads to anxiety. Sometimes it feels overwhelming. How do I resize my worry to be smaller? Mm-hmm. Well, you're asking the right person because worry is one of those things that um, I have taught on a jillion times. I know it's irrational, and I still have to fight the battle constantly myself. Uh, not about maybe what you worry about or what you worry about because you're all mama. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't tend to worry about the things that Jackie worries about. Sure. But I worry about other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so what do I do with that? How do I, what do I do when I've made small things big? It was part of that question. We make... We make things right-sized when we get God right-sized in our heart and mind. Everything um, is intended to be put in relation to God. And so when Jesus is Jesus is on the water and Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the waters, there's this amazing moment where he's trusting the Lord. And I think that's what you're going. I want to trust the Lord, not be anxious. He's trusting the Lord. He's walking on the water. And then it says he doesn't look at Jesus. He looks at the wind and the waves and he starts to sink. Nothing had changed about the wind. Nothing had changed about the waves. Nothing had changed about Jesus. It's just a matter of where he looked. And where he looked determined whether he sank or walked, right? Mm -hmm. So I would suggest to all of us who this is a real deal for that where we look is going to determine whether we are worry-filled or worry less. I'd like to get to a point where I could go, and I can't remember the last time I worried. Hmm. I think probably some people are there. I'm not there, but I want to worry less. Well, I want to get there. Right. But the pathway to there is to worry less. Mm -hmm. And I worry less when I look rightly more. So it really is um, a view of God and elevating God in our thinking. If I have a fault, in, if I have a fault, I have lots of faults. That's a stupid statement. One of my faults is because I'm very action-oriented, I can tend to always see in the Scripture, what's it say to do? What's it say to do? What's it not say to do? And assume, well, we know who God is. And... What we need, quite frankly, is a greater elevated view of God because, quite frankly, a greater elevated view of God, to see God for who he really is, will then cause me to do the things that, I'm tempted, that I tend to focus on. So um, preaching to myself, teaching myself right now in answer to this question, it's all about focusing on the Lord. I think that's the Philippians 4, 6. Mm -hmm. 
you're not going to make the things you're worried about smaller by dwelling on them. You're going to make them right-sized by dwelling on God. Maybe that's, maybe you won't feel like that's good enough, but that's good enough. <laughs> that's, right. that's the answer Scripture gives us. Well, and I appreciate that you shared that it's not, because I've experienced this, like, oh, I should just stop worrying. It's like shutting off a light switch. It's not. Right. It's not, and so sometimes it feels like a losing battle because you're like, oh, I should have accomplished this. I right. should have overcome this. It, and it does. I, I can sympathize with this question, like when the worry is leading to anxiety and then you just feel entrapped yeah. within that worry. So when I'm worrying and I go, Doug, why are you worrying? Mm-hmm. The answer is very simple because I have my, f- because I'm thinking about my focuses on the circumstance, the challenge, the obstacle, the unknown. Because mm-hmm. often our worry, the obstacle is the unknown. That's why it's so powerful. If we could put our put dimension around it, it wouldn't be unknown. And then we go, okay, I'm not worried about that. But so it's our future. For my wife, it was like, God doesn't promise our kids will be safe. And so there's this this unknown. And so worry can just make like a rabbit. Right, yeah. (laughs) In that. And worry increase. So. Focus. It's, I'm not going to lessen my worry by focusing on the circumstance. I'm going to lessen my worry by focusing on God who holds my circumstances, who holds me and has demonstrated by the cross that he loves me perfectly, fully, completely. It's a process, but he is big enough. Yeah. I don't want us to settle in. It's a process. So I just settle in. Well, Well, it's just who I am. Um, well, it may be who I regularly function as, but it's not who I am. Uh, that's why I wanted to include this. Mm. A child of a new household is an invitation to be worry-free. Well, and I like that statement, it's not who I am. When yep. we can think about who we are in Christ, carfish, mm-hmm. um, it, it's changing your perspective and your understanding and therefore putting God in the right perspective. We are we're a feelings-driven culture. Absolutely. And so we tend to function according to how we feel, according to who we are. Mm-hmm. And I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. God loves me perfectly. So I probably beat that one to death. I don't know if there's another question. Or... No, that was the... <laughs> that was the last one. Okay. I just saw that we had a minute left, and I was like, ooh. No, you're good. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that was our last one. But anything that you would like to wrap with today? Um, I've watched that building fall down in Miami mm-hmm. maybe too many times. And it just heart goes out for folks. Um, nobody goes to bed thinking. That's going to happen. And you can't live in fear of that. But we can live in readiness that this world is not my home. My home is in heaven. And so either in a dramatic, uh, traumatic, quick way or a slow fade, I want to live this life in a manner that this is not my home. My home is in heaven. So uh, there are moments that, that like that, 
that are so sobering, I think it's good for us. Finders. Well, yep. thank you so much for joining us today, and we truly hope that joy fills you and your home today. And continue to worship and praise and start with prayer and praise and all things. So have a great day, and we'll see you guys next week.